God was very mysterious in the Old Testament to the people. But see, that has really changed in the New Testament, and we're going to talk about that today, that he has really revealed himself through Christ. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and we'll get into the word this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that you've come to save your people from their sin. And Father, we thank you that as we come and we gather and we sit under your word and we have our minds renewed, our lives change. And Father, so we ask that you give clarity of mind and articulation of speech and boldness for the word to be preached today. Whoever is doing it in the children's church, myself, or anyone else, or any pastor, Father, we pray that the people would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and then the wills to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving their own selves, as it says in uh, James. But we do, and we get changed. We get transformed. We begin to understand things that we never understood before. And so, Father, we thank you. Give us grace to do these things this morning. We commit it all to you. May it be glorifying unto you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So I'm going to have you turn this morning to kind of the premier scriptures on the incarnation uh, in the New Testament. We could go to the Old Testament. You know, uh, a child is born, a son is given. A child is born uh, is the humanity. A son is given. That's the divinity. And, you know, God with us, a virgin shall conceive, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Again, that's the humanity, the virgin shall conceive, that's the human side, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us, that's the divinity side. The amazing part about the incarnation is that God has made himself a man, and he's fully man, and he's fully God. And Jesus, who came from eternity past, put on an earth suit, of which he will never take it off again. Jesus will forever be in heaven with scars in his hands and a pierced side from a spear that a man stabbed him with and wounds on his brow and scars upon his back. And he forever became a man and will never go back. He will always be a man in heaven. He will always be a man in the eternal state. He'll always be a man forever and forever and forever. He became one of us so he could stand in for our sin. The first Adam sinned for all of us, and Jesus came and saved for all of us. And see, that's why he's called the second Adam. It's forever, folks. It's not like some temporary deal. God made a big sacrifice. God confines himself to a man in the person and the agency of Christ. So it's a very powerful thing to understand and to get comprehension of. But John 1 and 4... Verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, you you, you look through that chapter, and there's amazing things. It says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We saw it happen. And if we weren't there, we got the full recording of it, of what others people, and we get to look through the eyes of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and beheld the glory, that the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 17, it says, or verse 18, it says, and no man hath seen God at any time. See, this is, this is a reference, this is putting this in perspective from the Old Testament point of view and mindset, that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Everybody say, Declared. And my message this morning is called the Incarnation's Declaration, or the Declaration of the Incarnation, you could say. But really what we're looking at is that God declared himself. You know, in the gay community, it's funny, where they talk about being in the closet, and then you hear about, well, another famous person came out, and they kind of declared who they were. And and I don't I don't even like to compare use that that's probably not the best analogy but God has come out and declared who He was in the man Jesus Christ. It's really a powerful concept. You know, as I said last week, no man has ever seen your face. None of you have ever seen your face. <laughs> you look in a mirror and you see an image or a reflection of your face. You know, you just can't get your eyeballs out there far enough to turn them around and look. It's really a weird thing. <laughs> you really just can't see your face. And I can kind of see my tongue. I kind of see my nose because it's probably kind of big. But, 
but I, I, but I can't see my face. I can kind of see my hair if it gets long enough, but I especially can't see my eyes. And I really can't see my face, but I can look in the mirror and it can be perfectly represented. And you're saying, and poor you, Pastor Bill. No, I'm just teasing. And, and, but, you know, we, we look in the mirror and for good, bad, ugly, that's, that's who you is right there. That, I mean, that you, you look and, and, and that's a reflection. It says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He totally represents God. That's in Colossians. I want to turn over here, and I want to look at some verses. I'm going to read it out of the 26 translations. Turn with me to Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, and it really tells, interestingly, uh, what took place in the incarnation and how uh, he came in the Old Testament, how the prophets could talk about him. How many of you know a picture is worth a thousand words? A picture really is worth a thousand words. You really get a hold of it when you get the picture. And it says this in Hebrews uh, verses 1 through 3, And God, who at sundry times and at diverse manners spake in time past, and God having of old times spoken by divine portions and in diverse manners. And we could say that a lot of different ways. But hath in these days, everybody say these days, spoken to us by his Son. Wow. See, the Old Testament, you know, this invisible God, you know, it was just kind of hard to understand him, and angels would come and speak, and the Spirit of God rested upon the prophet, priest, and the king. And some people had the anointing on them, and they had to, God had to speak audibly because they couldn't conceptualize very well. God had to speak with prophets to the average person because they didn't have the inward witness of the Holy Spirit living in them. And, and it was a little bit more through a glass dimly in the Old Testament. And he spoke through the fathers by the prophets and hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. And that's a lot better. Why is that better? It says he has spoken through his son who is heir of all things, by whom also made the works, who being, and this is the part I want you really to pay attention to, who being the brightness of his glory. I'm going to read some other translations what it says. Who being the irradiated, that's a word you don't hear about, very often, brightness of his glory, who being the outshining of his glory, the radiance of his glory, and then it goes on, and the express image of his person. This is where you really want to pay attention, the express image. One, one translator says, the very image of his substance. Another translator says, an exact representation of his very being. We don't have to have any questions about what God is like because we have Jesus. Jesus answers all the questions. Jesus is perfect theology. He is perfect observation of who God really is. And as you look, it goes on and it says, the stamped and stamped with God's own character, flawless expression of the nature of God, the exact representation of God. Jesus See, we don't have to wonder what God's like. We just need to get to know Jesus via his word. Can I get an amen? We just need to look at Jesus as he is lived out and the story is told about who he really was. See, when Philip, and you can go to John 14, and you can see that Philip asked this question, and we talked about this just a little bit last week, and then we're going to take off on some new stuff. But he said here, Philip, verse 8, Philip saith unto him, and we're in John 14. Philip saith unto him, show us the Father, and it is sufficeth us. In other words, Jesus, when are you going to show us what God's like? Jesus, what would, is God a healer? Is God kind? Is God merciful? Is God against me? Is, could, could you please show us what God's like? Come on, Jesus, show us what God's like. And he's thinking, oh my gosh, you totally miss it. And Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? See, he, Philip was still living in that Old Testament that no man has seen God. No one has seen the face of God. And he was staring right into God's face. He was looking right at him. He'd been talking to him. And God is so much like us in some ways 
that we, I don't think we could believe that God is really like that. But God really is because Jesus is the perfect representation of God. God wanted a perfect ambassador. He wanted a perfect representation. He wanted someone who really, absolutely, totally was everything that he is. And he sent us Jesus. So, so don't think today, you know, oh, God is so mystor- mysterious. You never know what God's really like. Well, yeah, we do. We're supposed to know. We're supposed to know through looking at Jesus. And he said, because, you know what, Philip? If you've seen me, you really have seen the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. An example, does God uh, make us sick to teach us things? You know, I've seen, I've heard, I've known of people, excuse me, who have held to that type of theology. Now, sometimes people get sick and they do learn things, but that's not God's best way. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we learn things from bad stuff that happens. But see, we've got the Bible and we've got the Holy Spirit to teach us. And it would be better if we went that route and learned from the Bible and the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the Holy Spirit's called the teacher? Not your toothache. (laughs) Whatever. But can we learn things if we have a toothache? Yeah, we might get a little bit more focused. might seek God a little harder because when we're in pain, okay, I'll pay attention. God, what's going on here? And we might learn something. But I believe we could just learn it through the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God uses healing, not sickness, but healing is a way to teach us, to teach us about the goodness of God. Turn with me to Matthew 9.35. Jesus is perfect theology. Everybody say that with me. Jesus is perfect theology. And it says, and when Jesus went about, we're over there in uh, Matthew 9 and 35, and when Jesus went about all the cities and villages, everybody say it with me now, teaching in their synagogues. So he, he was on a teaching mission. And preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Well, now, if he was out teaching people and he was out preaching and teaching, and if God used sickness, because remember, Jesus is the perfect picture of God. Turn your neighbor and say that over and over again today. Jesus is the perfect picture of God. (laughs) See, if he was out teaching and preaching and he didn't make anybody sick, to teach him a lesson, but he went about with his teaching and his preaching, healed every manner of sickness and disease, then to me, the tool of teaching is the goodness of God and is healing people. Can I get an amen? I believe that was his tool that he used in conjunction with teaching. And if it wasn't, and if he's trying to teach us something through maybe a sickness or disease, then why would you go to the doctor and try to get healed to stop him from teaching you? Why would you go against his will if he made you sick to teach you something? Why would you go to the doctor to, to get well so then he couldn't teach you? So, so we need to think clearly, and we need to... And, and, if you, and I'll tell you something. As a pastor of, of 30 years, if I get confused on something, I always go back, keep it simple, stupid. Oh, just look at Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus is God, isn't he? And I just go back and I find out, what did Jesus... Remember those bands that people wore back 10, 15 years ago? What would Jesus do? And, and so another way you say that is, what does the word say about Jesus, what he did? And so we go and we look and we find out that, you know, Jesus, he went around healing. That tells me what kind of a person he was, what kind of a God he is. And Jesus, in Luke 5 and 23, 25, he came, and there were two men lowering a guy through the roof. Jesus, he went, and he prayed all night, and it says the Spirit came upon him, and, and the power to heal came upon him mightily. And he went, and he started preaching and teaching, and two men came, and they lowered a guy through the roof, and uh, they brought it down, and Jesus said, according to you guys' faith, I'm going to heal him. But first of all, he says, and, and that first of all, I'm going to say that your sins be forgiven. And all the Pharisees said, what? You're saying... You have the power to forgive sins? Who, who, like, heretic, how, how dare you? Only God can forgive sin. Who is this Jesus guy? And, and, and he says, okay, guys, so that you'll know that I have power to forgive sin on the earth, which is easier, for me to walk up and see somebody get healed and heal somebody or to say your sins are forgiven? So just watch me, guys, because I'm going to walk up, I'm going to heal this guy, so you know if I've got power to heal somebody, because the Jews associated sickness with sin, and, and rightly so. 
And if I've got the power to heal him, then I have the power to forgive him. And he said to that guy that they lowered through the roof, take up thy pallet and walk, and he did. And then he turned to them, and they were freaking out because he said that you might know that I have power to forgive. How many of you know right there he used healing as a teaching tool to teach about forgiveness? See, all we, if, we, if we will look at Jesus, we will start finding out what kind of a God it is, what kind of a loving, healing, caring God it is that we really serve. And so Jesus is that picture for us to follow. You know, in Psalms 101.3, you know, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all mine iniquities, healing, who forgives all mine iniquities, excuse me, who forgives all mine iniquities and heals all your diseases. Well, it was in the word, but you know, it's easier when we just see Jesus doing it. Can I, can I get an amen? So three things that Jesus came to do through the incarnation. Three things that he came to declare. Because it says over there in John 1.18 that he hath declared him. I like that verse. And I think that's a very powerful verse. Let me read that verse one more time. I'm going to read it again just so we keep it just fresh in our minds that God did something very powerful. No man has seen God. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. Then he goes, but the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Three things, three declarations I want to talk about today through the incarnation, through Jesus becoming a man. And number one, the first declaration of the three is he came to declare that we have authority over the devil. To declare that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. First John chapter 3, and I'm going to read from you what it says, one of the purposes why Jesus came into the world. And it's the second half of the verse. I'll read the whole verse, uh, but it's actually in the second half, and it says this. He, hath, excuse me, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, everybody say purpose. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, there's three things that happened in the garden. The devil showed up and exercised influence. Adam and Eve, number two, sinned. Number three, after that sickness and woe and and evil and being outside the Garden of Eden began to happen. So three things. So I'm going to talk about today three things. Our authority over the devil. The first, Adam let the devil in, which brought havoc on the human race. Can, can we all agree upon that? Number two, the first, Adam allowed his household to fall into sin. The third thing that happened in the garden was they got kicked out of the garden. Man who used to live, you know, Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. Then by the time you get down to Abraham, he lived to be about 120 years old. And then today people are living to be 70, 80, maybe 90 years old. Why? Because our body eventually dies. And sickness and disease and aging and things took place. My sister who was in... Uh, at the University of Iowa Medical School, there was a biologist, third renowned biologist in the world. He was from France, and he was supposedly the most knowledgeable biologist in the world, or the third most renowned anyway. He was one of the top biologists in the world, not just in America. He came and he lectured at the University of Iowa in the medical school. And he said this, and this was 20-some years ago. This is 30-some years ago. He said, it is very clear to us that our body was made to never die. You know, your fingernails just keep growing. You know, you got seven layers of skin. One falls off, and you just keep doing this. And, and there was a man in my brother-in-law's church who's, uh, who his father lived to be 103 years old. And he was a, a man, I forget, where, where were they from, those refugees? Nepal. He was from Nepal. And his third set of teeth came in. See, that's strange to us. But see, I believe, I agree with that biologist, even though he was a secular biologist, he was not a Christian. He said, it's very clear to us, the body was made to never die. 
All of its tissues regenerate or want to, but now are hindered and can't. So God created man, and the devil got in and exerped some type of authority, usurped authority. Number two, he got us to sin. And then number three, sickness and disease and oppression and all kinds of bad things came as a result. And that's what the first Adam allowed. And the thing that Jesus declared most through his life, through his ministry, through his demonstrative declaration of the incarnation, were those three things. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Well, we know in John 10.10, 10, the Bible says, the thief comes. Everybody say, comes. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God came, that he might destroy the works, was you know, made manifest. That's, he came to earth. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, see, he came or made manifest to destroy the devil's works. But then in John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes. We know the devil is the thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he comes, too. He comes around. Be vigilant, be sober for your adversary, the devil. Goeth about seeking whom he may devour. Back to John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm come. Everybody say, he is come. This is why he's come. This is why we have an incarnation. He has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. This is why he came, to destroy the works of the devil and that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe this. You know, Jesus made it very clear that healing is, is part of what he wants done. So we'll start with healing. And it says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about healing, went about doing good, excuse me, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So everybody say, Jesus is the healer and the devil is the oppressor. It's very clear. See, and sometimes we got to keep that straight in our mind. See, Jesus demonstrated that. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus went around healing people. He didn't make them sick. Jesus went around that we might have life and have it more abundantly, but the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so it becomes very clear to me that all types of oppression, healing has several different expressions. How God anointed Jesus as who went about doing good and healing all who oppressed the devil. Did you know it said healing and all who oppressed the devil? Healing and all those who are oppressed. You know, there's a lot of people oppressed by the devil today. There's a lot of people. Sickness is a form of oppression. Did you know poverty is a form of oppression? You say, well, you know, I don't know if I believe in this, you know, wealth and health and gospel. Let me tell you something. Go to Africa with me and see real poverty where people are dying. Babies are laying around with bloated stomachs. People are living in garbage heaps. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The streets and gold, I mean, the streets of gold in heaven, the gates of pearl in heaven. And I come and I and I go on mission trips and and preach to forty thousand people, and they show up in the back of cattle trucks. Half the people that come get saved. They're so hungry, and we feed them, and and we go out. And I thought we were in a landfill, and it was a neighborhood. You can't tell the difference between a landfill and a neighborhood. That's poverty. Everybody say, that's oppression. That's not right. That's what the devil does. Sickness, poverty, depression. Half of America is on drugs. If we think right, eat right, live right, half of, those, half of that sickness goes away. But depression, strife in families, that's an oppression. How many know the devil wants to divide and conquer in your house? He wants to divide and conquer. Strife is an oppression from the devil. Sometimes you think, well, it's my husband, it's my wife. No, it's the devil trying to get you against each other. Can I get an amen? It's the devil that wants to bring that. Your wife doesn't want that. Your husband doesn't want that. But we get blind to things and he trips us up and we do stupid stuff. And he brings strife into our house. He brings depression into our life. He brings poverty to people. He brings sickness He brings confusion. He brings rejection. He brings all these bad feelings. He brings all these bad situations. Sometimes with our own flesh and our own sin and our own lack of knowledge, you know, we perish for a lack of knowledge at some place. And that gives him a place and he can come in. But it's the devil that ultimately wants that to happen to us. 
But Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good. Everybody say, doing good. And healing all those who are oppressed, oppressed of the devil. But see, we've been delivered. Colossians 1.13 says, who hath delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I, I love that verse of scripture. That is a powerful verse. As a matter of fact, you ought to just turn there. You ought to underline that verse. It is so powerful. And it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, in Romans it says that sin will no longer have dominion over you. One doesn't have control over you. See, our redemption, what Jesus did, it broke the power of sin over us. He came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The work of the devil is sin and oppression. And we've been delivered from the powers of darkness. We've been delivered from the devil. You know, the demoniac of Gadara, he came, he was naked. He'd been cutting himself. He'd been living in the tombs. And everybody in town was afraid of him. And they tried to put chains on him and fetters, and he tore them off. And, and, you know, he wasn't voted most likely to succeed in his senior class either. So that was really bad. But could you imagine living naked in the tombs, cutting yourself? People tried to put chains on you, and you broke out, and you're running around, and and you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. And Jesus came, and for some reason that man knew to come and bow down and worship Jesus. And Jesus broke the power of the devil. See, the devil's power, if the devil's power over him, and he was filled with so many demons, his name was Legion. Legion means thousands. And don't you think if Jesus could break the de- demonic power over that guy's life, he can break the power over our finances, over our marriage, over our physical body, over our state of mind, and over our situation? Can I get an Amen. If there's that much power in Jesus to do that for that man, he ought to be able to do something for us. Well, he did. He delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He set us free from the powers of those things. He got us so that we wouldn't have to be under the devil's control. And it says sin will no longer have dominion over you in Romans 6 and 14. There is a domain that you're under if you're, part, if, if you're not saved and you're living. You know, Satan is called the godless world. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them lost. In whom Satan, the god of this world, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them lost. Whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. The devil's got people's minds blind. That's why Paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be open. That's why the Bible says the whole world lieth in darkness. That's why it talks about Satan being the prince of darkness and Jesus being the light. You see, there is a darkness. There is a dominion of darkness. There is a dominion that lacks understanding. There is a dominion that doesn't have any illumination. There is a state of mind in the world where they just can't understand this stuff. It does not make a lick of sense, and they are completely walking in blindness. But you and I have been delivered from that. When I got saved and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, I got it. All of a sudden, this thing became a power plant of light coming into my spirit man. All of a sudden, I understood things I I couldn't begin to comprehend before. I went from being, you know, kind of a a B student in high school to by the time I got my master's degree, I was 4.0. Because my mind got illuminated. My mind became alive. I actually wanted to learn, which you would have known. If you'd have told me that in high school, I would have told you, you're crazy. I go to school for one reason, because I have to. Oh, in sports. Now, I love learning, because light comes in. I'm not under the power of darkness anymore. There was a power of darkness that made it so I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. It made it so I couldn't understand anything in the Bible. It made it so I didn't even like learning. I was under the power of darkness. God changed that. He has delivered us from the powers of darkness. 
And the demoniac of Gadara, if he can do something for him like that, he can certainly cause us to be victorious. And you know, the cool thing about it is this. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The first work is to get us out from under that power and get us delivered from that power. But see, how many of you know that's not enough? God takes us to a new level. And the devil used to be the aggressor, and we used to be the victim, but now God calls us to be the aggressors. He tells us to go into that world, go into all the world, preach the gospel of every creature, and he that believes and baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. We're to go cast the devils out. It is, oh, we're free from them. Oh, thank God, they're not bugging me anymore. No, it's... I'm the aggressor now. The devil used to be the aggressor, but hopefully you're, you're going to join me uh, and we're going, to be, we're going to become the aggressors against the devil. We're going to go cast him out instead of him casting us down. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority and power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Well, that sounds like a pretty aggressive uh, thing to me that getting somebody on the ground and stomping on. I, I saw a street fight one time. It was really an ugly thing where a guy got a guy down on the ground and started stomping on him. I left. I, I was like, I was just a kid when I saw that in high school. I thought, this is the most terrible thing I ever saw. That's a pretty aggressive thing. Behold, I give you power and authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm me. I was so glad the day I found out that I have authority over the devil. I used to be scared to death of demons. Before I was saved, I knew there was something out there. I didn't know it was because I had some bizarre supernatural experiences growing up, and I, I had watched too many scary movies. Don't, don't watch scary movies. Let's see Rosemary's Baby. I saw that when I was a kid, and it, it terrified me. Don't watch scary movies. You give glory to the devil, and it kills your faith to have authority over him. It, put, it portrays him as having power over you, and that's a lie. And we don't feed on lies. We feed on truth. Can I get an amen? To build up our spirit man so we get faith so that we scare the devil. <laughs> he doesn't scare us anymore. I scare him. And you should scare him too. We're supposed to scare him. Anybody that would stomp on you, I'd be scared of. I saw that happen. I don't want to see that happen again. It was ugly. But the Lord says, we tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm us. Amen. How many of you are glad about that? You know, Brother Hagin, he had a vision. And he saw, uh, he was talking in this vision. He was talking to Jesus. And Jesus allowed him to have this vision. And while he was talking to Jesus about some really important things, this demonic little figure showed up and started making all this racket and try to get between him and Jesus. You know, there's devils trying to get between you and Jesus today in this world. And this devil was making all this racket. And then this, like, this smoke came up. And, and, and in this vision, he said, well, Lord, why don't you do something about this, this demonic creature here? He says, I'm never going to. He says, I've already done all I'm going to do. He says, I already delivered you from darkness. I've already given you authority over the devil. And I'm never going to do another thing about it. Now it's in your hands, and you're supposed to make him go away. And he rebuked it. He says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. He says, do I have to? And he says, yes, you have to. And the thing took off and left. See, we don't realize that many times what we're wrestling against, when we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rules of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Be strong in the Lord and the powers of might that you might be able to stand against the wiles. Those are deceptions and lies. He might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Jesus gave us power over the devil. He went around casting out devils and doing all manner of healings. Amen. Number two, the second thing in the incarnation is Jesus is coming. Not only did he give us power over the devil, and many times the devil is the source even of sickness and disease, he gave us power in healing. Turn with me to Luke 9. Turn to this scripture. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to read this one. This is really a powerful scripture. Luke 9, 1 and 2. It's very, very powerful scripture. 
Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. Anybody know the difference between power and authority? In the Greek, it's azousia and dunamis. Those are the two Greek words. Azusia is authority. That's, you know, the state of Iowa, you know, for a police officer to stand out in a busy intersection, put up his hand, everybody's going to obey that because they see a badge. Because you're not obeying the police officer, you're obeying the laws of the state of Iowa. He has authority behind his badge. He has authority that gives him the right to stand out in a busy intersection and raise his hand and make all the cars stop coming this way and let all the cars go that are going this way. He has authority to do that. That's the word azusia in the Greek. And then it says not only do we have uh, authority, but it says power. Power is the word dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite in the English. And when that police officer stands there and he wears that badge that gives him authority... Then you look down on his hip and there's a 357 Magnum revolver and he has also been given power to enforce that authority. Can I get an amen? And so he has power and authority. And he's got authority to use that power and he's got power to back up that authority. We've got authority in that God has given us his word And we've got power by merit of the power of the Holy Spirit and angelic forces. We've got the power of healing. We've got the power to get wealth, it says in Deuteronomy. We've got the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, it says in Luke. We have the power uh, to do all things that God has called us to do. All things are possible to them that believe, it says in Matthew. And I look at that verse of Scripture. Then he called the 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority over all devils and the cure diseases. The same power and authority over the devils also cures diseases. In other words, we have power and authority over the devil, and we have power and authority over what the devil does to us. See, if you have power over the criminal and you throw him in jail, you just took power over what he does, and he stops robbing banks because he's in jail now. Can I get an amen? When you, when you have power over the devil, then you have power over the works of the devil. See, and, and, and when you look at that, you can see that God gave us power. Act, you know, Acts 10, 3, again, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost, and with power. Everybody say, with power. Who went about doing good, and he all pressed of the devil. See, in Matthew eight sixteen, the Bible says, When evening was come, they brought unto him many who were possessed with devils, And he cast the spirits out with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled by that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. See, he's he's alluding to Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Let me say it again. When evening was come, they brought unto him many who were possessed with devils and he cast the spirits out with his word And he healed all that were sick. Why? That it might be fulfilled by that which was spoken. By Isaiah the prophet who said, who bear our sicknesses and healed our diseases. Well, where is that in the Bible? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. It says, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our diseases. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Wow. Jesus defeated the works of the devil by taking away, stripping the devil of his authority. Colossians 2.15 says, Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. And he triumphed over them in it. In the ancient world, when a king beat another king, he was publicly defrocked and basically humiliated and paraded up and down the streets, mocked, and usually stripped naked, put into a cage, and everybody who walked by could spit on him, could reach in and punch him, 
could reach in and slap him, could pull his beard and pull his hair, and a whole lot of really ugly, unmentionable things. Those are the exact words and language Paul uses to describe how Jesus utterly defeated the devil by going to the cross, having spoiled principalities and powers. And spoiled means to take away their stuff. Spoiled principalities and powers. Made a show of them openly. That's talking about the public parade of the defeated and defrocked king and his humiliation before they put him to death. Spoiled principalities. And made an open show of them, triumphing over him in it. The devil got totally toasted. He got totally uh, kicked. He got totally defeated when you understand the language of the Bible and what Paul is alluding to when he uses those very specific words that point to those things. So then we see how it says that he bore our sicknesses. And he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled by that which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus bore our sicknesses on the cross, why are we bearing them? He said he bore our sicknesses on the cross, along with bearing our sins. Because when you deal with the sin, you deal with the sickness. When you deal with the devil, you deal with the sin. Because in the Garden of Eden, first came the devil, then came the sin, then from then on, man didn't live as long, and sickness came into the world, and affliction, and oppression, and getting kicked out of the garden, the perfect paradise, with the perfect wife, and the perfect husband, and the perfect relationship with their God, and the perfect world, and the perfect paradise, with perfect food, with perfect everything. We got kicked out of there. And so when you go back and you begin to reverse it, like Jesus has come to reverse it, to destroy the works of the devil, first you've got to destroy the devil's power to get in and talk to your Eve and, and, and deceive her and get you seduced into doing wrong things. You've got, you got to stop it right there. You've got to start with the devil. Then you've got to stop, go to the next stage, which when they sinned and they disobeyed God and they ate of the tree and they became uh, filled with death and, and, and disobedience. And, and then you've got to deal with it on the third and final plane, which is all the oppression that comes as a result of sinning and being separated from God and out here on your own under the devil's attack. We're talking about the declaration of the incarnation. Why? Jesus came and made this declaration, this display of defeating the devil, forgiving people of their sins, and healing people's sicknesses. Because those are the three things that happened with the first Adam in the garden, only to the reverse. Somebody say amen this morning. You see, the Bible has healing on two planes. He has it for the church and for the world. James 5 and 16, it says, If there are any afflicted among you, let him pray. If there is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the prayer of faith shall... And that's not talking about on the world. That's James talking to the church. And he says, If there's any sick among you... Everybody say, among you. That's believers. There is a path and a plan for healing for the believer. That among us, if there are sick people, we lay hands on them, we pray for them, and we believe with them, and we see uh, God go to work on them. But then there is another plan for the world, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he that believeth uh, shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils, and it gives a list. And then it says, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. See, there's healing for the church to believe and be prayed for, but then there's a healing to go out into all the world, and that... And I've known this to happen. When we were in Africa and we prayed for people, we saw all kinds of people get healed because they never heard the gospel before. And see, here in America, we're so used to depending on doctors and, and, and medicine, we kind of get so we don't depend on God for our healing. But over there, there aren't any doctors. There, aren't any, there isn't any medicine. And when we preached the gospel, we saw people, we saw blind people get so they could see. There's a blind school showed up at our crusade and a bunch of them uh, could see. And, and then there was a, a deaf school and a bunch of those people could see. It was an amazing thing. I mean, you, you wouldn't hardly believe it until you went, went there and saw it yourself. That stuff still happens. Turn your and say, that stuff still happens. Amen. So we've got that. We've got healing on both sides. So we've got power over the devil. Now we're going to the third one. We're going to talk about sin a little bit. The first one is God revealed himself to demonstrate to us that he gives us power over the devil. I mean, if the demonic of Gadara can get set free... And that came from the power that Jesus has, and he gave us the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. He gave us the power and the authority over diseases and devils, and he tells us to go out and cast out devils, like it says in John 10. 
then we can know that we got authority. Secondly, if Jesus went around and healing all that were sick, and then he tells us if there's any sick among you in the church, let them call for the elders and anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And then he says, go out into all the world, and they'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That tells me that not only did, did Jesus give us authority of the devil, but he gave us authority over diseases and sickness, which are the results of the devil in, in people's lives many times, directly and very indirectly. Some Just because of the fall, we live in a fallen world, and our bodies get sick and things. We get oppressed, and we get depressed, and we get in strife, and, and all these things. All these things are results of the devil. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And Jesus healed demonic people. He healed physically sick people. He healed, I'm sure, depressed people, rejected people, unhappy people, and, and all kinds of sinful people that were terribly in bondage to their sin. So we have these two things. Now we're going to go to the third one. But most of all, Jesus delivered us from our sin. Turn with me to Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And we can see that it very clearly says that this is one of the reasons why he came to declare himself as the Lord and Savior. Now, look what it says, and it's in Matthew 1 in verses uh, 20. We're going to begin uh, there in verse 20 and 21. And it says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We're talking about the incarnation and the angel telling Joseph that this, this baby that you're going to have, he's coming here for this express purpose. He's come to save their people from their sins. Yes, he came to destroy the works of the devil. But you can't destroy the works of the devil until you come to save from our sins. Because sin is what gives place to the devil in our lives. Now look at this. You can, you can see here that Jesus was born, and th- th- this whole thing, uh, first and foremost for the purpose to save us from our sins because of what the devil has done. You know, sin, sin has a lot of different venues. Sin is many times wrong thinking. Sin is attitudes. Sin can be a state... And lost people are in the state of sin. They're in the condition of sin. And, there's, and many times this confuses people as they study their Bibles. John talks about that uh, he that sins is of the devil. Well, you think, gosh, I sinned just the other day. I sinned driving to church this morning. Am I of the devil? No, that place in John, he that sins, it means he who is continually in the state of sin. In other words, he is in the positional legal status of being a sinner, therefore in sin, a non-saved person. That's what that's referring to. But then in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't talk about getting born again there. It just talks about cleansing believers there. Can I get an amen? Two very different things. But sin is a power and God wants to deliver all men from sin. And John, the woman that was caught in adultery. Let's turn there quickly. This is a portion of scripture I want to share with you. John, the eighth chapter. And just to show you how merciful God is and God's grace. We're going to talk about God's grace. I'm going to begin reading there in John 8, verses 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in this very act. See, God is merciful and he's come to forgive us of our sins and to free us from our sin. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such such should be stoned. But what saith thou? This they said, tempting him that he might have to accu- that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, "He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone." 
And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, I believe, this is, my, this is Pastor Bill's, this is not doctrine, this is Pastor Bill's thoughts. I want to make that clear. Paul used to delineate when he says, it was just, this is just my opinion. But when he wrote all that stuff in the sand, all, got all these religious Pharisees, all these hypocrites, ready to kill this woman, ready to stone her to death because she was caught in adultery. And, I, and I, it's not good to be in adultery. I'm not, I'm not endorsing adultery. And, and, and Jesus just didn't pay any attention to him. I think he was writing down all their girlfriends' names. I think he was writing down all the times that they thought about it. I think he was writing down all the times that they had done sins that in the law could make them worthy of being put to death. Because he said he is without sin. Well, it's pretty clear what he did. Because he knew their hearts, he knew their lives, because God gave him you know, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And he wrote these things down. And they saw their name, and they saw their date, and they saw that act, and they remembered, oh, I did that, and... And that verse that he wrote down beside it, that's the verse in Scripture that condemns me that I could be put to death today. He says, got any accusers? Got any takers this morning? And they all went, I, I think I'm supposed to have coffee with my wife right now. They all just laughed. I don't know exactly what he wrote down there, but I'll bet it was something they did when they did it, who they did it with, what date they did it, and what scripture condemns it. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can I get an amen? And I think what Jesus was coming to declare unto them is I've come to put a finish and an end to sin. Now, his grace just means, oh, we just go do anything we want now. You know, Paul addressed that in Romans. Where he said, you know, should we sin all the more that grace will even abound more? Well, no. Because look what he says. And so it says, and then they said, tempting him that they might to, to accuse him. Uh, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. There's correction. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, were being convicted. Well, what were they being convicted of? What he wrote, which must have been their own sin, by their own conscience, and went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus lifted up his, himself and saw none but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, where art thou? Thine accusers hath no man condemned thee. And he said, No man, the Lord no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. How many, how many know that's grace? For by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves, that is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. But then he said something right after that that's even more interesting, and most people don't notice this. Verse 11 is a transitional verse that talks about two different types of grace and just like we get free from the devil oppressing us and being the conquered, and we turn around, and now we've got authority over the devil, and we turn around, and we used to run from the devil, now it should be the devil's running from us. Can I get an amen? Okay, I said that for a purpose, because see, that also applies to sin. Jesus gave us not only, he set us free, we were guilty, he got us out of the mess, we used to be under sin's dominion, we used to be controlled by sin, we used to have to run and, and, we, and we always lost and sin always caught us and took us down and sin always had dominion over us and, and we couldn't stop sinning. I remember trying to stop sinning when I went through confirmation as a 12-year-old and I figured out then I couldn't stop sinning in my lost, unregenerate state. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the spirit of the law of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He doesn't condemn her. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. That's by, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. That's complete. But then he says something right after that that I want 
to grab your attention with. He says, and she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Whoa, that's the bigger part of the verse. And now we've got another grace. Not an Ephesians 2, 8 grace, but a Titus 11, excuse me, a Titus 2, verses 11 and 12 manifestation and dimension of grace. And that is the grace that the Bible says teaches you to not sin anymore. Wow. Grace came to her in this powerful, powerful way. Let me just read it to you. I'm going to read to you out of Titus. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, says it in really an amazing way. For the grace of God hath unmerited favor and blessing. That's what she just experienced. She had unmerited favor, and she got blessed because she wasn't going to get killed that day. How many of you want that kind of grace in your life? Absolutely, every one of us. And has come forward and appeared for the deliverance from sin. She got delivered from sin. And eternal salvation for all mankind. And then verse 12, it goes on to this grace where he says, and go sin no more. Now listen, it has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness. Did you know grace will train you to reject and renounce? If it's real grace, it not only delivers you from the sin, but it gives you victory over the sin. Just like real grace delivers you from the devil's power, but it gives you power over the devil now. Somebody say amen. And it says, it has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness and worldly desires to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritually whole lives in this present world. Wow. Did you know grace had those two dimensions to it? I don't condemn you. But in the same mouth, same breath says, but don't go sin anymore. I don't condemn you. But you could say, but now you have sin, you have power not to sin anymore. He wouldn't demand her to do something she couldn't do. He had just empowered her not only to be free from the sin, but now to be, have mastery over the sin. Somebody say amen. You see, God has delivered us, and he wills that all men would be saved and none should perish because he gave us power. He gave us the power over sin. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, he has forgiven all the sins of the world. My children... I write these things that you sin not, but if you man sin, we have an advocate with Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation of our sins. Not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He's commanded all men everywhere to repent, it says in Acts 17.30. He wishes that none should perish, it says in Peter. He says that he wishes that all would come to salvation in 1 Timothy 2. It says that everyone's name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and those who depart get their names removed, it says in Psalm 68. We can go to another place, and it says the devil, that hell was only made for the devil and his angels. It was never made for us. God had a total plan for everybody to have access to salvation, so much so that he wrote everybody's name in the book in advance and then has to take it out if we don't get saved. So much so that he made a place for the devil and his angels and only made it for them and didn't make it for one single man. He wishes that not one single person perish. He planned for not one single person to perish. But if we won't cooperate with his plan, that's why we go and, and, and we are lost to eternity. Because he has defeated sin thoroughly. He has defeated Satan thoroughly. He has defeated the effects of Satan and, and, and oppression uh, thoroughly, which is sickness and disease and depression and all these things. God made that provision for us. And he made provision for us in the church that if we do sin, we can confess our sins and he'll forgive us of our sins and he'll cleanse us from our sins and from all unrighteousness. How many say that's a pretty good deal? And it says in Luke 24, 47, it says we are to preach forgiveness and repentance to the Gentiles. And we should go declare that forgiveness from sins because Jesus declared it through the incarnation. He declared forgiving people's sins. He declared defeating the devil and, and just utterly casting him out. He declared that we're free from our sin with that woman and who is an adulterer and everybody saw it and Jesus forgives her for it and gives her the power to overcome that type of sin in life. Jesus declared these things through the incarnation. He lived it out. He's perfect theology. He's come to show us that he has defeated the devil. He's given us power over sin and he's come to be our healer all in one package. Everything reversed what the first Adam messed up on. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to be dismissed.
How many would say we serve a good God? You know, we can talk about Santa Claus and gifts, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to talk about Jesus and the gift of salvation. And Santa and his gift is only a weak representation and parallel to the great gift giver. If we being evil know how to give, give good gifts to our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to give good things to them that ask him? It's the season of gift giving. There's no doubt about that. And we should do that. And we should uphold those traditions because they do point to one greater than Santa Claus. It does, it does point to one who is the ultimate gift giver. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that giving is, is this great and powerful thing that Christmas represents. And when we realize that God gave a complete picture, a complete representation, and perfect image of himself in Jesus, boy, that's something to get excited and to worship God about. Can I get an amen? Let's bow our heads.